so many people throughout my career would approach me and say, you know, they would hear my stories and they would say, you know, you should really write a book. And I would just take it as flattery and say, oh, yeah, maybe one day and never really paid much attention to it. One day, uh, someone who had started taking my class, a very actually prominent artist, kind of befriended me and asked me about my story, told it to him, and he said, you need to write a book. And I said, yeah, a lot of people say that. And he said, no, you really need to write a book. In fact, I am going to take you to a literary agent, and I want to see this happen. And he did. And the literary agent said, okay, tell me your story. And I did. And literally, when I got home from that meeting an hour later, I had a contract in my inbox. And we wrote up a proposal. And next thing I knew, St. Martin's Press said, we want to publish your book. And it was just mind boggling to me. I couldn't believe that, wow, I'm going to write a book. And I did. And the real purpose of the book and why I was so excited about telling my story was because I feel like there's so many parts of my story that uh, that will resonate with other people and ultimately inspire other people to kind of get out there and start their own businesses and build their own self-esteem and really touch upon every aspect of my story. It's never too late to reinvent yourself. Just ask Ruth Zuckerman, one of the original co-founders of SoulCycle, arguably one of the most successful spin class companies anywhere. And who, after a devastating exit from the company, picked herself up and built Flywheel, offering spinning classes with a where-everybody-knows-your-name ethos and a big focus on technology and metrics. And it turns out this isn't her last chapter after all. Coming up, you'll hear how this powerful and inspiring female founder helped build a brand, how it got started, and what it meant when that partnership turned on a dime why SoulCycle worked, and how Ruth's next company, Flywheel, felt much more personal. The importance of getting everything in writing and a proper partnership agreement, why the right partner is crucial and trusting your gut, the value of following your passion instead of money, how Ruth's resilience has kept her going, why she wrote a very revealing book, and we learn news of yet a new journey about to begin, plus a surprise and a brainstorm. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Ruth Zuckerman, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me, Courtney. I have to ask you, you just launched your memoir, and let me read the title because it's awesome, How I Kissed Soul Cycle Goodbye, Co-Founded Flywheel, and Built the Life I've Always Wanted. I haven't read it yet, but I absolutely need to. Please, tell me how you came to this title. <sighs> um, basically because my entire career is pretty much encapsulated in, in that subtitle, in that uh you know, I never had any experience in business. I never went to business school. I grew up in a home where my dad was a physician. My mother was a psychotherapist. I grew up as a dancer. Again, like my parents' friends were all doctors. So I never was exposed to business at all. And so starting two businesses, as I mentioned in the subtitle, was, you know, 20 years ago, I never would have fathomed it. So it's something I'm really proud of. And it, again, pretty much spells out what my career has been. How did you decide you wanted to start a business? 
You know, I was really led to it through my passion for spinning. And as I mentioned before, I grew up as a dancer. That was my lifelong passion. I gave it up uh, a couple years after college because I really didn't fathom how challenging it is to become a, a professional dancer in New York. And I knew I wanted to be in New York, probably the hardest place to to make it as an artist. And I had to give it up. And I say it very flippantly, but it was a huge huge moment in my life. And I didn't know I was a fish out of water. I had no idea what I was going to do next, let alone ever find another passion. And it's interesting to me when I think about timeline, and I think about the fact that spinning was my next passion, and I found it 25 years later. And I like to I like to talk about that and mention it because I want people out there to not give up and to know that it is possible to find something else that you feel so strongly about. And so I found it. Um, a sequence of events led to that. And I was so passionate about it that I knew I was going to take it further than it how, had been taken. How did you discover spinning? I was, let's see, it was in the midst of my divorce, very traumatic time. To say the least, I had six-year-old, excuse me, six-year-old twin girls. And at the time, I was a member of the Reebok Gym, which was on 67th and Columbus. It's now in Equinox. I have a fun fact about that, but we'll get to it later. Okay. It was, <laughs> that gym was like all the rage at when the time. When Stephanie and I first started the business, we worked on the side of our full-time jobs, and she lived on the Upper East Side, uh-huh. and we would meet at that gym, and really? that's where our office was in the Amazing. early days. Beautiful <laughs> Full service. Yeah, we loved it there. Great food. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, And they offered spin classes. And spinning was kind of a little under the radar at that time. But I used to walk back and forth in front of this spin room. It was glass enclosed, dark, full, every bike taken. I would hear this music blasting, the wheels turning, and it just felt like there was this incredible energy in there. It was a little intimidating. And then finally, one day, I just pushed myself and I said, you need to get in there. And I did. And I took my first class and that was it. I noticed something about it that just blew me away. It wasn't It didn't feel like just an exercise class. And again, having come from the dance field where that was my only source of working out and fitness, the thought of, you know, exercising on a machine or doing, you know, reps was nothing less than excruciatingly boring to me. And so here I am in this spin class and there's suddenly something cathartic about it. It felt like an experience. There was something about the music, the moving to the music, which felt very familiar to me having been a dancer. The um, kind of camaraderie that would happen because you're riding together as a pack. Uh, It blew me away. What, so what year was this? This was, I want to say, 1998. So how long after that moment did you actually launch SoulCycle? SoulCycle was launched in the spring of 2006. 2006. Okay, yes. so what was happening during that so time? I became so hooked on the, on the spin class. I would go probably six days a week. I uh, loved my spin teacher. He became my guru because... You know how that works. We get attached to our our fitness instructors. And one day he stood up and announced, I guess it was two years later, stood up and announced, I'm moving to Florida. And I thought, what? 
I mean, how can you do that? How can you leave me? <laughs> you know how that goes. And um, sure enough, he didn't care that much about me. And, and he left to Florida. And I thought, there are no other instructors that I really enjoy that much. So I guess I'll have to start teaching. And I auditioned and they hired me in two minutes. You're, you're hired. And that was the start of my career as a spin instructor. And that was in the year 2000. And I taught at Reebok for five years. And it was in 2005 that a writer of mine approached me and said, I want to open a boutique fitness dedicated to spin only business in New York City. I know nothing about teaching. Uh, you do. I love the way you teach. I love your method. I want you to be the face of the business and really get this together for me. And I mean, it was a dream come true for me. Uh, it was something I had been wanting for a long time, but I didn't have the capital. Um, ironically, another friend of mine who was a writer in my class and a really close friend, she and I used to talk about doing that as well. She didn't have the money either. When Elizabeth initially approached me, I, I'm a very loyal person, and so I felt, how am I going? What am I going to say to Julie? I have to bring Julie in. So I did. I asked Elizabeth if she would meet her. I felt that Julie could be a good addition to the partnership. They met, and the three of us started SoulCycle, and as I said, opened our doors in 2006. So it took about a year. Yes. From that first meeting to a little less. To, to it was launching. the fall of 2005, spring of 2006. And did all three of you just focus on this for a year? Did you have side hustles at uh, the time? Or was this the side hustle? <laughs> this was our focus. And I also just like to include that when I started SoulCycle, I was 48 years old. And I think that's important for people to know because so much of my book and my story in general is about resilience, building resilience, and reinvention. And the, and I really always like to get the message across that you're never too old. I love that. I yeah. love that. Thank you. So you opened up your first business. How did you know what to do first? Oh, my God. Um, truthfully, I was so passionate and confident about my product, about what I was offering, that while, yes, there was trepidation, of course, I very quickly ended up bringing i would say 80% of my following from from sorry from Reebok 80% of my following from Reebok that i'd built for 5 years and i really in the beginning i questioned it i mean here they were going from this full service beautiful gym to what was literally a hole in the wall it was a dump and it was on 72nd street street level in the back of a building nothing to write home about and no showers. And sure enough, they all ended up coming because they wanted this, um, you know, specialized experience that they couldn't get at a big box gym. The Soul Cycle that I know today has amazing branding. Yes. When did that aspect of it come into the picture? It was definitely a process. I owe that to Julie. I think Julie, um, I know Julie always had a great eye for things and, um, she really kind of spearheaded the the branding of Soul Cycle, uh, from the skull heads to the white lacquer to the to the yellow accents. I mean the whole thing. And so she did a great job at that for sure. I was um, involved with everything creative, everything that went on within the four walls of the studio, whether it was training instructors, finding instructors, um, and cultivating the following. What were your biggest challenges in the early days? I think in the beginning, 
we needed patience. And sometimes that was tough because in the first, I want to say, four to six months, there were so many classes where I had six people. And I was used to teaching sold out classes at at, uh, the Reebok Club. So um, I didn't let it deter me. And I literally taught every class like it was full. It didn't matter how many people were in it because I knew that I wanted those six people to come back and I wanted those six people to tell six more people. And um, it was grueling in the beginning. I was teaching, I don't know, 22 classes a week. It was incredibly exhausting. Uh, But again, taught every class like I had all the energy in the world because I just believed so much in what I did and sharing the wealth. And it really, interestingly, my motivation was never about money. It was about, as I said, just sharing this incredible experience. And at the end of 45 minutes, allowing people to feel better about themselves. Is the concept from day one still the same as it is today because when I go to a soul cycle class you know you turn off the lights you mm-hmm. have the amazing music you have candles and it mm-hmm. is very much a spiritual experience yeah was it like that on day one absolutely I mean I brought the spiritual experience amazing. to soul my cycle. favorite part <laughs> yes thank you and that is really what drove me and in, in this business and what made me so passionate about it was adding that spiritual element to the physical exercise. Um, Since I left, it's changed a lot in terms of the actual ride and the amount of movement on the bike. I don't do that a flywheel. Um, I'm just more concerned with limiting the movement to something that everyone can do safely. And um, I feel that, you know, if you're very in touch with your body, it's awesome what they do and it's fun, but you have to be careful. And I just want to make sure that we can um, really be open to everybody, every body, every shape body, every age, every color. Um, And I always at Flywheel stressed offering a ride that everyone can do. How did you go from Soul Cycle to Flywheel? I think that was probably one of the most surprising things that I learned <laughs> when uh, I I read up about you, and yeah. I, I want to hear all about it, or yes. as much as you can share. <laughs> so it's it's quite a story in that I uh, the the partnership at Soul Cycle ultimately didn't work out; it dissolved, and. Again, I say that flippantly too, and there was nothing easy about it. It was, um, it felt nothing short of devastating when it happened. And uh, this was a year into the business, and I was all set to leave. And the reality was, I had two teenage girls at home that I had to support. And since we were the first and only boutique fitness studio out there, I had nowhere to go. And I couldn't give up compensation, um, I couldn't afford it. And so I made the incredibly difficult decision to stay at a business that I founded and no longer was an owner of. It was excruciating. And every day I walked in there was excruciating. Uh, However, when I got on the bike and I hit the play button, it all went away because there I was doing my thing with a room full of my people that came for me and were still there. No one had any idea what happened. Uh, it was kept very hush-hush. And so uh, while, again, it was so challenging for me, I did it for two years. 
And the reason why it was two years was because by making that decision and staying there, it allowed me to meet my future co-founders of Flywheel. And thank God, um, because that was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. And of course, when I was introduced to them and heard about uh, how they wanted to kind of enhance the experience, I was so jazzed and thrilled and excited about it. And here was my next opportunity. Were you, during those two years, planning for your next move? Did the did your new co-founders just randomly come into your life? How did it all happen? Yeah, no, I wasn't planning for it. I really was, you know, as committed and dedicated to what felt like my riders for those two years as I always was. Um, I really didn't know what would be next. And I guess to a certain degree, I kind of left it to the universe and it worked out. And uh, one day, actually, another instructor from SoulCycle asked me if I wanted to come with her to meet these two private equity guys. That's all I knew about them uh, and that they had an idea around spin. And I said, sure. I mean, I was thrilled that she asked me. And we both went to meet with them. And we had several meetings, uh, the two of us from SoulCycle and and David and Jay. And um, eventually, through the course of meetings, they uh, said, well, we want her. We don't really want her. And um, the problem was they had no, they also had no idea what happened. So they thought I was untouchable because they thought I was still an owner. And I said, hey, guess what? I, I'm touchable. I, you know, I'm free. And uh, they were beyond excited. And that was the start of Flywheel. And what did you do differently this time? Whew, so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, it's interesting. It was such an advantage in that having built the beginning of SoulCycle, I was able to kind of take what I thought worked and then improve upon the things that I thought didn't work that well. And I think the biggest dif differentiation other than the obvious tech that we offered and the metrics that we offered was what I touched upon before, which is the whole vibe of Flywheel became one that was very all-inclusive, open, welcoming, high-touch customer service, making everyone feel good, knowing everyone's name. Um, those parts of the business were really important to me. And when I compare the two, I always kind of describe SoulCycle as being more exclusive and always having the feeling of kind of the club you can't get into, but if you're in, you feel really good. And quite frankly, both concepts work. Um, but I wanted to do the latter and I wanted to make it more open, make it more accessible. And I think it's because it was sort of trickle down from who I really am. And that's kind of who I am. Coming up, Ruth gets a surprise. And so do we. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. Something that 
Stephanie and I love to do is we love to surprise and delight our guests. So Uh-oh. actually, in your bag right there, we have a little gift for you. Um, this is something that we recommend all of our clients do. We take a look at your social media and we'll surprise you based on what we know you like. So take a look at what's in your Entrepreneurista swag bag. Okay. And we have a special surprise for you. Oh, very exciting. Voila. Oh, my God. I've been to Salt House. Oh, you that, know that from know. my social media. Thank <laughs> you so much. And I know Stephanie, who's the founder of Salt House, and that's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. You're Such welcome. Yeah, we saw that you I need liked this. it. Thank you. So speaking of surprises, uh, I actually learned that you recently left Flywheel at the end of the year. What led to that decision? I did. And uh, a lot went into the decision, quite frankly. It uh, it took a while for me to be able to do it. It's something I had been thinking about for quite a while. Obviously, it was hard because Flywheel was my baby and I was very attached to it for a very long time, since 2010. Uh you know, we were we had an event in 2014 where we were sold, and I stayed on. My two co-founders had left very early on, which was extremely upsetting for me, but I handled it, and I remained with the company for uh, almost five years. During that process of change and a different leadership team, things changed in the company, and I uh, I have to say a lot of the changes no longer felt like me and I adapted to the changes and and supported the company as long as I was there but it really got to the point where I wanted to do other things obviously the book came out I've been busy doing speaking engagements and and talking about the book all over the country and I've really enjoyed that uh at the same time I just wanted to free myself to other opportunities and I thought, what better time than to leave at the end of the year and start the new year uh, and open myself up to other possibilities. I've heard other entrepreneurs share that once they sell their company, it becomes an entirely different company. But selling your company just seems so exciting. What (laughs) led to the decision to sell the company? It was really exciting. Uh, The real crux of the decision was that we started to notice that a lot of copycats were coming up into the marketplace. And, you know, when when I started both SoulCycle and Flywheel, there was really not much competition at all. It was pretty empty out there. Uh, but sure enough, people were, were hopping on to this very successful business model. And more and more boutique fitness businesses were opening up all around us. And we just thought, this might be the time to sell. Um, we were also starting to get approached by various companies who were showing a lot of interest in the company. And that, of course, felt extremely exciting and validating. And so ultimately, a deal was struck. And um, actually, the person who bought us was brought in organically. His daughter wanted him to try a class because she loved it so much. And that started uh, his interest. And we started having more and more meetings. And he ultimately bought the company. And it was incredibly exciting. And obviously, we, the three of us, Jay, David, and I also got to the point where we 
had worked so hard for four years. We wanted to make some money. I mean, it was never my motivation from the get-go. My motivation was always spread the love, spread this incredible experience to everybody that walks in through the door. But come on, we also wanted to get some kind of financial reward for all of the really 24-7 hard work that we did. Did you get an investment banker involved at all, or was all of this organic? Yes. Uh, when it came to working through the details of the sale, absolutely. We How long was that whole process? Uh, I would say a little less than a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's also something that uh, was surprising to me, speaking to other entrepreneurs who have sold their business, is that it is a long process. A it year is a, long, is a long time. You might change your mind during that year. Exactly. Different things might happen to your business. Ups and things do. And uh, Did you change your mind at all or regret it at all? We absolutely had pauses for concern when we were going through the process, but clearly not enough to cause, cause us to halt. And you had some other interests. Why did you choose? How did you choose who you would ultimately sell to? What went into that decision? Uh, Truthfully, he was so passionate about what we had built and obviously had a great track record um, in his own business career and, and did incredibly well. And we thought we could learn a lot and um, really thought he was the best person to help us scale the business to the next level. And A lot, and I've heard this too from sales of businesses. uh, A lot of times you have to stay on. So, did you, when you sold the business, did you have to stay on for a certain period of time or was it up to your discretion? It was really up to our discretion. And having Flywheel, since Flywheel was my baby, um, I never thought for a second about leaving at that point. I was still very involved and teaching a lot and a family with all of my instructors and employees. Um, and I, I couldn't imagine leaving them. What would you say was the biggest learning lesson in, in both of those businesses, SoulCycle, Flywheel, the one piece of advice you you would need to pass on to the next generation of yeah. entrepreneurs. I think that what I'm about to say is is very obvious, but unfortunately it wasn't obvious to me again because I had no business background, no business experience, but I didn't take the measures to legally protect myself in the way that I should have. Uh, and so I felt screwed because of that. And um, it's always the first thing I say to Anyone, when they're starting a business, when they're choosing partners, no matter how much they might like them or trust or feel that they trust them, you just have to have that legal protection and then you're okay. Yeah, business is really, really hard. Instagram really glamorizes it, but it's tough. And even if you're the smartest person, went to Harvard Business School, Mm -hmm. you're subject to make mistakes. And that's that's how you learn, unfortunately. And sometimes they're really, really expensive and they hurt so badly. But it's so true. You live and you learn. And if I could add one more lesson that I learned or a mistake that I made, uh, it's again so endemic to business and most people know this and I didn't I trusted a little too much and I never knew how much greed can come in and force some really bad decisions and I you know I'll say to people I was too trustworthy but the reality is 
it also served me well to be who I am, and it is a big part of who I am. And I will take precautions moving forward, and I did. But at the same time, I'm a really nice, trusting person, and that actually and that actually served me well in many ways in business, which is interesting. So, based on the learnings from from what you went through with Soul Cycle, mm-hmm. what did you do differently with Flywheel to prevent you from from making those mistakes? I had to obviously be really mindful about who my partners will be, what kind of people they are, and how we will build this foundation to start this business. And it's interesting, while at SoulCycle, we seem to have our roles defined, they kind of, the lines got very blurry. At Flywheel, we made sure our roles were very defined, but we stayed in our roles. And on top of that, and I think even more importantly, we really respected each other's uh, area of expertise. And that didn't mean that we didn't lend an opinion time and again in someone else's role. Um, but it it didn't we didn't dominate or say, yeah, yeah, no, we're not doing it that way. It's It was more about, I respect your expertise. You ultimately do know better than me in that, in that financial area, so I will defer to you. You know, things like that. It was really about finding partners who I could respect and partners who respected me. When you've been burned like that before, mm-hmm. how do you know who you can trust? So you meet your new cope co-founders, or Mm -hmm. at that point, they're just people that could potentially be your co-founders. How did you know you could trust them? You don't. That's the bottom line. You really don't. And that's why I go back to having the right legal protection. I think that also, even though I say you don't, I think that women especially have really good guts. And sometimes your gut will tell you one way or the other if it's the right decision or not. And, you know, our guts aren't always, you know, 100% right. But I have found in my personal experience when I haven't trust my gut, it's been a mistake. Yeah, I've definitely found that too. So from the time you met your potential co-founders to when you actually started the business, mm-hmm. how how long did you know them for at that point? Not long. Uh, so you really had to trust your yes, gut. Yes, I, I did. And it's interesting because uh, when I was going through the negotiations with them for uh, my agreement, one of my partners, and I would say this if he was sitting here, it's very difficult. And um, <laughs> he's a tough negotiator. And he did not make it easy for me when we were going through the process. And it literally got to the point where he was so tough that I had a conversation with my lawyer and my lawyer said, do you really want to go into business with this guy? And I literally said, you know what? No, I don't. Having gone through what I went through, I thought this is not feeling right for me. And he said, do you want me to call and pull the plug? And I said, yeah, I do. And he did. And he called them and he said, yeah, my client decided to go another way. Hung up the phone. The other partner, because they played good cop, bad cop. The other partner started calling me. My phone was ringing off the hook. My my um, emails were like crazy and texting and WhatsApping. And finally, <laughs> I, I took a deep breath and I picked up the phone and he begged me to meet with him. Just please, I just want to meet with you just for 10 minutes. Please just meet with me. And I did. And we had a great conversation. And he kind of righted the wrongs that came from David. And I said, look, if you want me in, here's what I need. And I went through A, B, C, D, and E. And 
if you agree to that, you've got a deal. And that, and we made a deal. And it's funny because in retrospect, people say, oh, that was a great negotiating tactic. And I said, it it actually wasn't a negotiating tactic. I really was done. But I guess in the end it was. Yeah, well, that's what, the, <laughs> that's what they say. The best way to negotiate is be prepared to walk away. Exactly. So I'm glad it worked out for you. Thank Were you. they good friends, those two, the, yeah, your two partners? Yeah, they had been partners for uh, probably four or five years before. Well, I will say you do want a tough negotiator on your side once you get past oh negotiating against Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And that was I'm the sure point he was he a made. great partner in the end. He was. And that was the point <laughs> my other partner, Jay, made to me. I have to ask you about the marketing. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn from SoulCycle that you needed to apply to Flywheel? And what did you need to do differently? What I brought to Flywheel that worked, as far as I was concerned, at SoulCycle was the soulfulness that was part of my ride. That was the product. And it it's what I did at Reebok, and it's what I continued at SoulCycle, and what I would continue at Flywheel because it's who I am. It came from within my soul and wanting to share that with everybody else. When we started Flywheel and we were introducing metrics on the bike and suddenly we're making the rider accountable for their ride, they now have stats, they can see, you know, what they did in the last ride and how they can improve their score in the next ride. Um, What we saw very early on when we started the business was this was attracting more men. And while SoulCycle's business was predominantly women, I believe it's 90%, give or take, um, we started seeing men come to us and very early on because they were very intrigued by having metrics. Because of that, that def- that influenced uh, how we were going to market, how we were going to brand, and what our studio would look like. Um, the truth is, when we opened our doors, we really didn't know what our br- – people would say, well, what's your brand? And we would literally say, we don't know. And we kind of let it evolve to a certain extent, um, which was really not what we did at SoulCycle. Um, Julie had very set ideas, and um, it was just a different approach. And so – you know, we went with darker colors. We wanted to make sure the environment wasn't too feminine. Um, we uh, physically knew when we were building out the space that we wanted wide hallways. For example, at Soul Cycle, the hallways were really narrow. So you had sweaty bodies coming out of a room, rubbing up against fresh bodies, clean bodies going in. No one really liked that. You know, we wanted locker rooms with showers and really just taking measures that would make it as easy as possible for the customer. We didn't charge extra for water. We didn't charge extra for towels. So people can just, on a laptop, again, kind of making it more state-of-the-art and edgy, um, sign in on a laptop, don't have to pull out their wallet if they want water or towel. Everything was included. So it was more about again, kind of making it easier and more accessible and more comfortable for the customer. In terms of branding, I would say we floundered for a while. And then I believe it was about a year in, we hired a branding agency. And they are the ones that came up with the slogan, Never Coast. And we thought that was it. And we were so excited about that. And that really became our motto. And it was almost like compared it almost to the Nike swoosh. Like it had the the Never Coast period. And it just felt very powerful to us. Um, and so I think that helped us define who we were. What role did social media play in your marketing? 
Uh, eventually a lot. In the very beginning, it wasn't as big as it is now. So we kind of moved with the social media force and um, and then made it very much a part of our marketing tools. We never advertised. So much of this business, and it was the same at SoulCycle, uh, is word of mouth. It's you have this great experience. You tell your friends. They come. It was really never about like advertising never came into this business plan. Up next, a brainstorm and all about Ruth's book, plus looking ahead. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed. It's going to be an exciting 2019, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. Let's go back to the book. What inspired you to to write this book? So many people throughout my career would approach me and say, you know, they would hear my stories and they would say, you know, you should really write a book. And I would just take it as flattery and say, oh, yeah, maybe one day and never really paid much attention to it. One day, uh, someone who had started taking my class, a very actually prominent artist, kind of befriended me and asked me about my story, told it to him, and he said, you need to write a book. And I said, yeah, a lot of people say that. And he said, no, you really need to write a book. In fact, I am going to take you to a literary agent, and I want to see this happen. And he did. And the literary agent said, okay, tell me your story. And I did. And literally, when I got home from that meeting an hour later, I had a contract in my inbox. And we wrote up a proposal. And next thing I knew, St. Martin's Press said, we want to publish your book. And it was just mind boggling to me. I couldn't believe that, wow, I'm going to write a book. And I did. And the real purpose of the book and why I was so excited about telling my story was because I feel like there's so many parts of my story that uh, that will resonate with other people and ultimately inspire other people to kind of get out there and start their own businesses and build their own self-esteem and really touch upon every aspect of my story. How candid were you able to get given, you know, a lot of the I'm sure legal documents you've signed throughout your your journey? Unfortunately, because of that, I couldn't be completely transparent about parts of my story. And that was very frustrating. And in fact, when I get to the part about talking about the dissolution of my partnership at SoulCycle, there's a bit of an abrupt stop. And people have commented, wow, you know, why was that? Like, I was disappointed. I wanted to read more details about what happened. And I said I would have loved to have included them, but I unfortunately couldn't because of legal documents. Um, Other than that particular example, I bared my soul in this book. And um, as people say, I took my clothes off. And 
it was scary. Um, however, I, I didn't know any other way to do it. I'm a very honest person, and I have found through my career and what I do on the bike that it's only when I when I make myself vulnerable that I relate to other people, and other people relate to me. And I've learned at the end of the day that. That's what people want. They want to hear your real story. They don't want to hear smoke and mirrors. They don't necessarily aspire to be the Kardashians. They aspire to be like you and me and want to hear about your faults and your mistakes so that they can learn from them th- themselves and that they can so that they can relate to you. How does the book end? It ends with uh, me talking about, you know, continuing my path at Flywheel, because when I ended the book, I was still there, Um, you know, and just in more general terms, excited to continue my career. You're at a really interesting point yet again in your life. What's next? So uh, as we discussed, I left Flywheel at the end of the year. uh, So this is very new. Uh, The first couple weeks of January were really difficult. I it is the first time I was literally off a bike for 21 years. Um, I think in certain ways it's good for me. I think it's good for my body to take a mm-hmm. break and for my mind to take a break. It's been a lot. It's been a lot over the last 20 years uh, between divorce and two businesses and you know failing and getting myself back on the bike, so to speak. It's It's been quite a journey. And so in this uh, second part of January and going into February, I'm really embracing the fact that I'm not employed and I'm not really working on anything. And uh, I plan to take a vacation uh, at the end of the month for two full weeks, which I don't think I've ever done in my life. And um, I'm just starting now to formulate what's next. I don't have that down yet, but I am in meetings after meetings every day now, really just kind of getting people's views on the current fitness landscape and opinions on group fitness versus working out at home through digital means. And, you know, it's quite a changed landscape since I started. So it's been a real learning experience. Do you think you want your next venture to be in the fitness industry? I do. I think it's what I do. I think it's who I am. And uh, talk to me about how did you juggle when you were, you know, running both businesses, your personal life and your business life? I know Mm -hmm. that that's something that's really, really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. It is. And it was. And I wish I had the magic words to um, advise people with that. I don't. I think it's a constant challenge to find balance. And I think this whole notion of finding that balance is kind of uh, not really tangible. Um, I think we do the best we can. And I will say, in terms of children, when you have children, they, at least for me, always are my priority. And so business will always take second place. If I need to run home and I'm in the middle of an important meeting, they're going to take first place over any meeting, over anything that's happening in a business. And so that's kind of how I managed my kids. Um, at the same time, I know that having these businesses and, and being busy with it 
allowed me to be a great role model for them. And I have two daughters. So uh, especially as a woman, um, I'm happy to say that they I have been inspiring to them in that way. And I'm so proud of them. And I know they're both going to find their paths and be great at whatever they do. Do you think they want to get into business? Uh, one of them is working for a business right now, and the other one actually is going another route, and she's uh, going to pursue probably a PhD in psychology. Amazing. Um, I know. And so it's interesting because my mother was a psychotherapist, and I've always been a huge proponent of working on oneself through the therapeutic process, and she has watched that um, process for me and became really interested in it. Something that Stephanie and I always do is a brainstorm. So is there any – and we'll put 60 seconds on the clock and we'll just go back and forth on throwing out different ideas. Is there anything that you would want to brainstorm together? Maybe where to take your next vacation? <laughs> <laughs> um, I already decided that. Oh, where are you going? Hawaii. Ooh, yeah, nice. I've, never, I've been. never been there. Yeah, I just came back from the Cayman Islands, and it was very relaxing. Very relaxing. Not too much to do there at night, but if you need to just get away just and chill. relax and do nothing, yeah. it's the perfect place. <laughs> and you have the beautiful water. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you have suggestions? Um, I think something that would be fun to brainstorm is personal branding. So now you are no longer at Flywheel. You've launched your book. You're on a speaking tour and you're really out on your own. You're a free agent. Um, how are you promoting yourself, promoting your book, promoting your your lifestyle, this new you? It's a very timely And I can give you some of my ideas too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would welcome them. But it's a timely question, obviously, because I I'm thinking long and hard about how I want to present myself. And the truth is, I'm very aware of the fact, especially based on my following, of this demographic of women, especially, let's say, between the ages of 45 and 75, who are so into health and wellness. And I feel that being almost 61, that I can be a great role model for them. I think, you know, I so often hear people ask me, you know, wow, you look so much younger than your age. What do you do? What do you eat? How, you know, how much do you exercise? And I feel like I have a lot I can share with them and I can share it in a very honest and open and vulnerable, vulnerable way. And I think, as I mentioned before, that's how people connect. Yeah. And I would say you are certainly a role model. And I know for those of you listening, you can't see her right now, but she is so fashionable too and in great shape and she just looks amazing. So I would recommend, and you're probably doing this right now on your social media, but you can take it to another level after you get back from vacation, of course. Of course. And just share with your audience, you know, what you're eating, what you're doing, what you're wearing, because um, I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> that is the biggest compliment. I was going to say the same thing to you. <laughs> I want to know Thank everything you. that you're doing because you look amazing. Thank you. Really, you do. Um, and then I guess going into this year, 2019, um, what are you, what's your biggest goal? Where do you want the year to land? I feel my biggest goal is figuring out that next thing that I want to do. I have to say it's a lot of pressure because fortunately, knock on wood, I've done well with the first two businesses and their popularity and appeal. Um, so they're there are definitely a lot of people out there wondering, and I've heard it through the grapevine, you know, what is she doing next? Oh, I heard this. I heard that. So there, it is a lot of pressure to do something great. But at the same time, it's not that 
you know, that much pressure for me because I will always do something that comes from my passion, that comes from my heart, something that really interests me and something that I know will help other people. So I just don't feel that I can go wrong. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And you've accomplished so much Thank and you, you have a lot to be proud of. Um, so something that we always ask is, what does it mean to be an entrepreneurista? I was thinking about that, actually. And to me, on, the word entrepreneurista connotes badass woman, entrepreneur, obviously, that um, goes with her gut, is relentless and passionate and wants to share it with the world. I definitely agree. And you embody what it means to be an <laughs> entrepreneurista. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, where can everyone follow you? The best place right now would probably probably be Instagram. Uh, my handle is at fountain of underscore Ruth. That is a great Instagram handle. Thank you. The best one like I've heard too. in a long time. Thank you. <laughs> the other thing, I always love to plug the book. So Riding High, they can find it on Amazon, most bookstores. Go out and read it. I'm definitely going to be read it, reading it. That is on my to-do list for this quarter. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ruth, for, for joining me today. I had so much fun, and I'd love to have you back on once you've figured out what your plan is uh, for what you're going to do next. And I, I love know it. it's going to be amazing. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Entrepreneurista. I'm Courtney, and this is the best business meeting we've ever had. And Stephanie, I miss you, and I can't wait to have you back on the show. Entreprenista is produced by Mouth Media Network for Socialfly. Copyright 2019, Socialfly, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.